Tonight we continue on the theme of the end of the age, talking about those events which the Word of God predicts will occur at the end of the age in which we are now living. Tonight our theme is the great day of God's wrath. That phrase is taken from the book of the Revelation and the sixth chapter. I'd like you to turn there quickly with me. And then we'll turn to another more lengthy text. You'll notice at the beginning of chapter 6, we have the pouring out of the seal judgments. This is the beginning of the suffering that will come upon the earth. As a result of the pouring out of God's judgment upon the world. It is such a severe experience of suffering and pain that in verse 16, those in the world said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher of these things revealed to us in the Word, that we might know them. I pray that you will give us spiritual ears to hear not only the truth of what is said, but how those things should impact our lives as well, as we look toward the end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen. The tribulation period may be called the great day of God's wrath, for that's what it is. It is a time when God officially will pour out upon the unbelieving world of men his wrath. Our Lord Jesus describes this period of time in the sermon which he gave on Mount Olivet to his disciples and recorded for us in Matthew 24. I'd like you to turn there with me as we read down through a number of verses. Now, the disciples were not asking about the tribulation. But they were asking about the end of the age. And when the things that Jesus had talked about would occur. And what the sign of his coming would be. Jesus answered two out of three of the questions. In verse 4 of Matthew uh, 24, it says... And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For the nation, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. In other words, labor has just begun, but the judgment has not fully arrived. He says, then they will deliver you to tribulation. Now it would be important for us to notice that this word tribulation is used in a generic sense in the New Testament of the suffering, affliction, and pressure which God's people face in every age. 
That is the sense in which our Lord uses the term in verse 9. He says, they will deliver you to suffering, to persecution, to affliction, to tribulation, that is. But the word is also used, as we shall see, of a period of time which is called the tribulation. Now let's go on. They will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away, and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, and if you want to know why, read 2 Thessalonians 2. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. I do not, do not understand that to mean saved spiritually, but the Lord is simply saying that the one who endures through the sufferings of that period of time that we call the tribulation, the one who endures physically through that period of time will be saved alive and physically to enter into the kingdom, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Please understand the context of this verse. This is not something said to us today in this part of the age. We do not have to wait for the gospel to go into every nation in the world before Jesus can come back for his bride, the church. Indeed, the message that is said here the gospel of the kingdom is slightly different than the gospel of grace, which we declare today. They will in that day be talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation through him. But the emphasis of the message will be on the coming of our Lord to establish his kingdom. That is why it is called here by that specific name, the gospel of the kingdom. Now there are some people today who like to go to verse 14 and make this a great missionary verse. It is not that. It is not that. If we believed that verse 14 had to be fulfilled before our Lord could come, then his coming is not imminent. It could not happen at any moment. In fact, his coming would be further delayed now than before this time because there are more and more people who have not yet heard. And so this is a verse regarding the missionary thrust in the tribulation period. Now he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. I hope you'll understand better in a minute. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get things out that are in his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. That is when travel would not be as easy. The point is here that the time following the abomination of desolation will be a time of great suffering and persecution, especially for the Jews. All believers of God, yes, but especially for the Jews. And those, remember, are the ones to whom directly our Lord is speaking in Matthew 24. And he says the suffering will be so intense, he is warning him to flee, to leave everything behind and escape from the pressures that will follow the abomination of desolations. Now we'll look in Daniel in a moment and see what that entails. 
He says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Verse 22 does not mean that the days are going to have less daylight, as some people seem to think. But it's simply saying that that period of time is going to be uh, cut short, ended, so that there will be those who will live through it physically. Otherwise, the period is so filled with judgment and pressures and warfare and death that no one would be left alive on the earth. He says, for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance, if therefore they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth. Or behold, he, that is the Messiah, is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then Jesus closes this part by saying, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. A rather obscure statement. But of course, a corpse involves the corruption of flesh. And he says, where there is corruption, then God sends in his cleanup crew, which are the vultures. Now this is a proverb, apparently, that was common in that day, or at least in use in that day. And what the meaning seems to be that where there is the kind of awful moral corruption as has been suggested here previously in these verses, God is going to bring judgment and clean it up. That seems to be the import of it. Now let's ask the question, because Jesus mentions here the great tribulation. uh, What is the tribulation? Our understanding of the scriptures is that the tribulation is a seven-year period of judgment that will come upon the world. I'll explain why we say seven years in a moment. The tribulation is a period that will conclude this age, just as every age through the history of the world has concluded with a judgment, so this age will conclude with a judgment. During that period of time, the Lord is going to once again resume his dealings directly with the nation of Israel. Israel in this period of time, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 11, has been set aside so that the times of the Gentiles might be fulfilled. Now when that period of time described that way is fulfilled, and we understand that to mean the calling out of the church, which is primarily Gentile in its composition, then our Lord is going to once again take up Israel and deal with that nation. And through a period of purging will bring the nation to faith and then to millennial blessing. The tribulation period will follow the rapture of the church. Why do I say that? Because it is a period of wrath which will come upon the world. And as we saw, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Last Sunday night. The church is not appointed to wrath, but rather to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we believe that the church is going to be caught out of the world before the tribulation period comes upon the earth. 
It will depart for that place prepared for us by the Savior. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Daniel, where we will gain some insight, I trust, as to why we're talking about a seven-year period of time. When we talk about the tribulation, we must remember that we're not talking about a subject that is only revealed in the New Testament. We're talking about something that was spoken of in the prophets of the Old Testament as well. We're going to look in Daniel at the ninth chapter, where Daniel is given, after a lengthy time of prayer, some understanding regarding the future of his people, Israel. Now remember that Daniel was a Jew. He had been taken away into Babylonian captivity in the first excursion into the land by Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken as a young man, made a eunuch, and there was given assignment within the palace of the great king, Nebuchadnezzar. He was not only a statesman of that pagan and Gentile country as time went on, but preeminently Daniel was a man of God, a prophet of God to whom God was pleased to reveal insights and understanding regarding things to come, not only in his day, but throughout this whole age. Now in Daniel 9.24, the heavenly being says, to Daniel, Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Now let's notice immediately that he is speaking here about the Jews and the city of Jerusalem. God, it says here, has decreed, that is, has assigned, has set aside 70 weeks to culminate his purposes for the Jewish nation. The word weeks here literally is sevens in the Hebrew. Therefore, Bible commentators take this not to mean 70 weeks of seven days, but 70 periods of sevens. Each seven is a year of time, not a day. It's not a day of a week, but it's a seven, it's a period of seven years. And he says that there are 70 periods of seven years which God has decreed for the nation of Israel. Now he goes on to say, as those weeks transpire, this is what will happen, to finish the transgression. That seems to be a reference to the apostasy of the nation of Israel. The reason that they were, at the very time that Daniel heard this, in captivity. And he says, to make an end of sin. That is, to seal up sin. The idea seemingly by judging it. To make an atonement for iniquity. Believed to be a reference to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To bring in everlasting righteousness which may well refer to the kingdom. In other words, these 70 weeks will lead right up to that point, the bringing in of a righteous kingdom. And then he says, to seal up visions and prophecies and to anoint the most holy place. 
Now, we don't have time to look at every phrase here tonight, or we're going to be here a long time. So let's move ahead. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now we're not fully understanding as to why he broke those down just the way he did, but notice that the total is 69 periods of seven years, or 483 years. So here is the specific prophecy given to Daniel. From the time the decree would go out to rebuild Jerusalem until the time of Messiah the Prince, there would be 483 years. There is a clock that God puts up on the shelf in this verse. It begins to tick when the decree goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, when did that happen? Well, again, Bible commentators differ on this slightly, but only slightly. However, most believe that the clock began to move when the decree went out in 480, excuse me, 445 B.C. in the days of Nehemiah for the rebuilding of the city and its walls. You can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 2. And so the clock began to move in 445 or 444 B.C. And it began to move for 483 years. Now, if you're interested in trying to figure this out to the very year, there are some complications in doing that, including this, that these years are not solar years, but lunar years, 360 days exactly. <clears throat> and so our calendar is based upon a solar year of 365 or 66 days, and you have to compensate for that in your calculations. And if you're interested in reading about that, there are a number of commentaries that go into detail about it. But the point I want you to notice is that in 445 B.C., the clock began to move until Messiah the Prince. It would seem as though this is when Messiah was officially presented to the Jewish nation. It does not seem to refer to his coming to the earth at Bethlehem. But some years later, during his public ministry, when he officially presented himself to the Jewish people as their Messiah and King, and at which time, by the way, they rejected him as a nation. 483 years to that point. Now it goes on to say in the verse, it will be built again, that is the city, with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. You can read Nehemiah and Ezra and understand what those verses mean, those words mean. And then in verse 26 it says, Then after the 62 weeks, now that's the 62 weeks that follows the original seven weeks that he mentions in verse 25, or a total of 69 weeks. After that, after the 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. Notice that. Because that is a reference to Calvary. It does not seem to be included in the last or the 69th week, but rather after that period has been fulfilled. It would seem to be after he is rejected by the nation. 
Then sometime later he is cut off, referring to the cross, and he will have nothing, that is, nothing of the rights, the royal rights that are his as the king of that people. And the people of the prince who is to come. You have to go back to Daniel 7 to understand that. It's a reference to the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That occurred after Calvary, about 40 years later. In 70 AD, when the Roman armies, under General Titus, destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish temple, completely leveling it and taking away Jews, uh, dispersing them throughout the Roman Empire. And so every word here that is given to Daniel is one that is fulfilled in history, either already fulfilled or shall be fulfilled. Now it says, It will come with a flood even to the end. There will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant. Now the question is, who is he? Well, you have to back up to find out. The closest antecedent is the prince who will come in verse 26. And so verse 27 refers to Antichrist. And he, Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. The many here referring to the Jewish people in that day, a yet future day. And notice how long the covenant will be for, one week. So here is the 70th week, 69 weeks ticked off on God's clock until the time Messiah was rejected, leaving one week, the 70th week, yet to be fulfilled. Now we know from the perspective where we live today that between the 69th week and that final week of years, of seven years, there is a whole age of time. Daniel was not given to see that. It is a mystery that is revealed to us in the New Testament. Paul calls it a mystery in Ephesians 3, as we studied a few weeks ago. It was not revealed then, but when the clock stopped... On the nation of Israel, God had a whole nother purpose, and that is the purpose of the church, calling out in this age a people to belong to Jesus Christ as his bride, as his body. But the clock has yet to strike for that 70th final week. Here it is. Now when that week comes, Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jews. It seems as though that covenant will be to provide peace for Israel. I want you to know tonight there is nothing that the Jewish people long for more in Israel than peace. Because they have been a persecuted people down through the centuries. And today they bristle with armaments that they might protect themselves against those who would destroy them. They want peace in their borders. And Antichrist will guarantee them peace for that covenant period of seven years. However, Daniel is told, in the middle of the week, that is after three and one-half years, he, Antichrist, will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering 
Now this introduces another thought to us, and that is that in that time, the Jews will reconstruct a temple in Jerusalem. There are those who say that the materials are all stored already in the city of Jerusalem. That the plans have all been drawn up, but there is a terrible geographical and even more political problem. And that is that the place where the temple belongs, the place where they will build the temple, is now occupied by Muslim holy sites, by two mosques. And of course, were the Jews to destroy the mosques in order to build their temple, we would have World War III up through World War I in one minute. And so they have a terrific problem today. We believe they are ready to build that temple. There is indication of that. But they are on hold, waiting for the right moment for it to happen. And so they will offer again their sacrifices. And that will be a part of their life as a nation at the beginning of the tribulation. Antichrist will approve that until the middle of the week. And then he will say, that's enough. And it says, on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. You see, see, here's where Jesus gets that phrase, the abomination of desolations. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Our time does not allow us to look at other passages, but let me summarize for you that what takes place is this. At this point in that seven-year period, at the halfway point, Antichrist will insist that the Jews stop offering their offerings and that they begin to worship him as their Messiah. And to bring that to pass, he will cause the offerings to cease and will establish in that reconstructed temple in Jerusalem an image of himself. An image, we are told in the book of Revelation, which will speak. It will be an amazing image. And we understand today with all the computer technology available as to how that might happen. He will insist that the Jewish people worship him at that image in their temple. And that is what is called the abomination of desolations. It was prefigured in what Antiochus did in the times of the Maccabees when he slew a pig upon the altar in Jerusalem. The pig, an unclean animal to the Jews, was slain there, defiling the temple. It was an abomination of desolations of sort. But in that day, Antichrist will give the complete fulfillment of that when he commands that the Jewish people worship him. And so in the middle of that tribulation period, he will begin to turn on the Jews. And he will begin to persecute them as a people and will show himself certainly to be no friend of the Jews. And we're going to look more in detail at the person of Antichrist on another occasion. So you'll have to come back for that. We're talking tonight about this seven-year period. I wanted to show you where we get the seven years. The seven years goes all the way back into Jewish history and to Jewish prophecy. It is a seven-year period that God is waiting to fulfill at the appropriate moment. Now, what will it be like during the tribulation period? Well, let me just 
review with you. For many of you, that is what this is, review. For others of you, this may be new material. But let me just quickly review with you what the world will be like in the tribulation period. Let's think first politically and militarily. And here we're bringing together a number of passages from Revelation, from Daniel, from Ezekiel, and other places. It seems as though that there will be five great power blocks in the world in that day. Uh, Today, I suppose we might say that we have two superpowers with other major powers and then third world powers. But in that day, it seems that there will be five power blocks that will be militarily and politically jockeying to control that key part of the Middle East occupied by the nation of Israel. We do not know exactly who these power blocks are, but they are identified in the Bible by these terms. The king of the north. And I remember as a kid when I read that phrase, I thought, well, that's Canada. We are very oriented to the United States, but remember that prophetically, the focus is not the United States, it's Israel. And so when we talk about the king of the north, you have to go north of Israel, geographically. And there today you find Arab powers, radical Arab powers. Perhaps that will be the case in the days of the tribulation. Then there is the king of the south which is most often referred to as uh, Egypt, and those powers aligned with Egypt to the south of Israel. There are the kings of the east, an Asiatic power, perhaps a conglomeration of powers, which will march on the Holy Land at a particular point. And then there is a western power, that will be a revived form of the Roman Empire. That's why Daniel speaks of the prince of, the people rather, of the prince who will come. That's the Roman Empire, which collapsed under its own immorality and corruption in that day, but which was never destroyed, in a sense, which has lain dormant, but which will congeal once again. Now there are those who believe that we see maybe the beginnings of that at least in the common market. Economically, those similar nations that comprise the old Roman Empire coming together. And so there will be the revived Roman Empire and that is the source, the origin, uh, politically, nationally, for Antichrist. He will come out of that power block. And then there seems to be a fifth power block uh, in Russia, or at least a power far to the north, which is specifically mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So politically and militarily, there will be these power blocks, which at various times will make moves against Israel. Their final move will involve the Battle of Armageddon, which is the great military movement at the end of the seven-year period, which will be culminated by Christ's return from heaven and the destruction of the world armies. Then what will this time be like morally, socially, economically? 
Well, we can say it will be a time of lawlessness, which will abound, as Jesus said. A time of corruption, a time of perversion. It seems as though socially it will be a time when there will be a rather strict class structure, unlike what we enjoy in our republic, where the the class distinctions are rather vague. It seems from Revelation 6.15 that there will be rather strict classes of peoples in the society of that day. And economically, the world economy will come together. And if you read about economy, you will notice that there is pressure today for a world economy. No longer can we have national economies, we are told. We need a world economy. And that world economy eventually will come under the control of the world dictator, Antichrist. Well, it will be like spiritually. There will be two messages preached in the tribulation period. On the one hand, the truth of Jesus Christ will be preached. The gospel will be preached with that special emphasis on the coming kingdom. And therefore it's called the gospel of the kingdom. On the other hand, there is the lie of Antichrist, which will sweep many away. Some will believe each of these messages. The majority will believe the lie, but there will be many who will believe the gospel. In the early chapters of Revelation, there are 144,000 Jews who are sealed by God Almighty as his special servants in that tribulation period, and it may well be that they will become evangelists to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the world There will be great apostasy in that period of time, and there will be many martyrs, many martyrs. Many will lay down their lives for Jesus Christ in the tribulation period. Nationally, for Israel, it is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 9. Two-thirds of those who live in Israel in that day will be killed, Zechariah 13, 8. It will be a day of grief and desperate sorrow, Isaiah 17, 11. What we see for the nation of Israel is a time, an awful time of holocaust, which will cause Hitler's years to pale by comparison. The worst days the Jewish people have ever experienced, I am sad to say, seem to be still ahead for them as a nation. And folks, that is one reason we need to be today preaching the gospel to the Jewish people. We need to be concerned about preaching the gospel that they might be one to the Savior and be spared not only from hell to come but also from this time of national sorrow that I believe will come upon some who are alive on the earth today. I believe we are entering into this period of time. How will God judge the world in the tribulation period? Well, in about two minutes, I'm going to condense Revelation chapters 4 through 19. First of all, it is going to be the time of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. Revelation 6, 17. We read that earlier. God's wrath is going to involve the pouring out of several series of judgments. In the first three and a half year period... And may I just remind you that the Bible does divide the seven years into two periods of time. 
of a time and times and a half a time, or 42 months, or 1260 days, or three and a half years. All of those phrases are used. In the first half of the tribulation period, there will be seals, seven seals, and seven judgments of trumpet, uh, of judgment rather, poured out upon the earth. Seven seals and seven trumpets of judgment poured out upon the earth. And as a result of that, the population will be given to follow Antichrist as a rule. There will be unprecedented warfare upon the earth. Famine will become worldwide. There will be unparalleled death by war, famine, and interestingly by the ravaging of beasts. There will be anarchy and lawlessness upon the earth and great natural disasters which will be of supernatural origin. They will include one-third of all of the trees and grass of the earth being burned, one-third of the oceans of the world turned to blood, one-third of the sea creatures and ships destroyed in a disaster, one-third of the fresh water in the world made undrinkable, one-third of sunlight, moonlight, and stars quenched so that there will be a supernatural dusk that will come upon the world even in the daytime. There will be five months of torment by a stinging, hideous-looking locust described in the book of the Revelation. Locust which seemed to have some kind of demonic attachment. As a result of these judgments, first one-fourth and then one-third of the world population will die. Now you figure that out, and over one-half of the world population will in the three and a half years of the, the, the first three and a half years of the tribulation be killed as a result of this judgment poured out upon the earth. Seven-twelfths of the world population, which is said to be five billion by the year 2000. In the midst of the tribulation period, Satan will be cast out upon the earth to direct his warfare against God and men and especially against believers and Jewish believers at that. And then in the last seven, excuse me, the last three and a half years, seven judgments will be poured out upon the earth. Beginning in Revelation chapter 16, they are described to us judgments of great intensity, so great that this is called the great tribulation. These judgments will involve a foul, painful sore and boil which will be upon men. The entire sea will be turned as blood of dead men so that every sea creature will die. All fresh water in that last period of time will become as blood. As it says in Revelation 16.6, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. The sun will have power in that period of time, it says, to scorch men with fire. And yet Antichrist's kingdom will be filled with a supernatural darkness that will come upon it. Once again, great natural disasters will take place. Earthquakes, which will cause islands, whole islands, to disappear beneath the waves mountains to crumble and fall, and entire metropolitan areas to be destroyed. 
earthquakes, as it says in Revelation 16, 18, such as was not since men were upon the earth. And it says that there will be storms in that day, involving hailstones of the weight of 100 pounds. And it says the plague was exceedingly great. And so during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there are the judgments of the seals and the bowls of wrath. I think I misstated that earlier. In the first three and a half years, it's the judgments of the seals that are open and the bowls of wrath. And the last part of the tribulation, the seal, the, the judgments of the, the trumpets. Now you say in light of all of that, my goodness, I think I'm going to go out and, and uh, just give up. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Why does God give us this kind of information? Does he give us this information so that we just uh, decide to wait on the housetops for the Lord to come? Is it so that we can just sell everything we've got and just forget trying to do something in this world for Jesus Christ? Shall we stop having children? Shall we uh, give up life as we know it? None of that. Our Lord gives us this information so that we might understand that there is an end to the wickedness of man. Things are not going to go on as they always have. They shall not. God is going to bring an end. He is going to bring judgment to this world. We are not today looking for the 70th week of Daniel. We are looking for his coming. That's important to keep in mind. And our Lord has said that we are to occupy. We are to be busy. We are to be faithful until he comes. We are not looking for the Antichrist. We are looking for the real Christ. And he is going to come for his own. Our Lord has not left us in the dark as to those things that will be involved at the end of this age. But beloved, God does not want us to focus on those things. Nor does he want us to become anxious about those things or depressed by them. He wants us to be aware that judgment is coming upon the world. But God has appointed us to salvation and not to wrath. And we are expecting his return and he wants us to be involved in winning this world to Jesus Christ until that time that we are caught up to be with our Lord. I think that Peter has some good, good words for us, and with these we close. Second Peter chapter 3. He does not speak directly regarding the, the judgment that we've been looking at, but he is talking about a judgment that will come after that, but his words are instructive for us. <clears throat> I want to go back and review this because in my mind I got confused when I reviewed it the second time. So here's the third review. The first three and a half years will be the judgment of the seals and the trumpets and the last three and a half years, the bowls of wrath. So there it is. That's, that's the way it is. That's the real review. How many of you caught that mistake? Good. I'm proud of you. That's good. All right. So you got that straight? If you want that detail, the first three and a half years, the series of judgments will involve what are called the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments in the last three and a half years, the bowls of God's wrath poured out upon the earth. Now let's look here what Peter says in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Notice that. 
He doesn't say that we are to be found by him in anxiety and worry. We're to be found in him, by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Despite the fact our world is going down the tubes morally and spiritually, we, the Lord's people, are to live, as was illustrated tonight earlier, separately from that. We are to be spotless and blameless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And he says, regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. And then we'll go on to verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. So we are exhorted to be on guard in these days in which we live. And also in verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those are good words for us. And so as you think about the end of the age, remember what we are told here. Be at peace and live a life that is morally spotless and blameless. And regard the fact that our Lord is delaying his coming as an opportunity to win others to Jesus Christ. And be on guard against the pressures and false doctrines that will be coming even more intensely in the end days and to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for the real Christ. We're not anticipating the tribulation, but we are anticipating the blessed hope of his return. Let's be faithful to be found of him in that day as he would have us to be found. And now our Heavenly Father, as we have looked at this